This is Real Estate Rookie episode 273. Yeah, so I went back and I figured it up before uh, I had my first interview with you guys because I just wanted to know for myself. And just from uh, me doing you know, multiple house hacks in a row and doing an arbitrage, doing some co-hosting, this and that, um, I've made over $100,000 in the last 18 months off of medium-term rentals, which is absolutely insane. My name is Ashley Kerr, and I'm here with my co-host, Tony Robinson. And Welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, where every week, twice a week, we give you the inspiration, motivation, and stories you need to hear to kickstart your investing journey. And Ashley, man, am I so excited for today's guest. Uh, we've got David Rosen back on the podcast, and uh, we met David in person at one of our Bigger Pockets meetups uh, not too long ago, and then I bumped into him again at another conference in January. And I'm so glad we brought him on because um, I feel like it's not often, Ashley, that we get a guest where like we're learning so much in the moment from that person as well. But today was one of those episodes where I feel like me and you, are, our, our gears were turning a little bit, right? Yeah, we definitely uh, used our position as the host to pick David's <laughs> <laughs> brain to our advantage and to what we should or shouldn't be doing. But um, one really cool thing about this, and this always gets me excited, is David tells us how much money he made off of his rentals in the past 18 months. Uh, so I think if anything, this should be motivation for you guys that you can completely turn your life around in 18 months like David did. Yeah, he he had a, a pretty healthy six-figure salary, which we'll get into, and he left that high-paying six-figure job because he had so much cash flow coming in from his portfolio. So, so many good things. But but David uh, talks about uh, his journey, obviously, but uh, he gives a, a quick breakdown on renting by the room and how he's had success doing that. And then we spend the majority of the episode uh, really doing a deep dive on medium-term rentals and how he's been able to just dramatically um, increase the revenue and profitability of his property by going the medium-term rental route. And he talks very specifically about what he looks for in a city. Like what are the, here you need to search this term to, to invest in the city. Um, he talks about what he looks for in his properties to, to make sure that they'll, they'll be good candidates for medium-term rentals. And um, yeah, just a, a really great episode about medium-term rentals today. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's rent toretirement.com or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. 
Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. If you're in the landlord game, you know the importance of solid tenant screening. That's where RentReady steps in. Now, RentReady's got an important new feature, proof of income verification. And get this, with Plaid certified reports, you'll see everything from income summaries to total earnings by month. So say goodbye to those gut check moments and hello to confidence in renting with Rent Ready. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. Now, if you're not a pro, they're offering a six month plan for just $1. You can't beat that. So visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like Bigger Pockets, Investor to get six months of Rent Ready for $1. Now, one last thing, I just want to give a shout out to someone that recently loved to say five-star review on Apple Podcasts. This person goes by the username of Matco Justin. And Matco says, I'm in a position after a divorce to buy a home, so why not buy a property that pays me while I live there? As I'm going through the pre-approval process with the lender, I'm learning as much as possible from Ashley, Tony, and their guest. And the more I listen, the more I realize I can do this too. Thank you guys both. Um, man, what a what a great uh, review, not just because it's a five-star review, but just because I, I love that, you know, in a position that, uh, you know, maybe a difficult position, someone going through a divorce, they're finding uh, support in the podcast and the community. So uh, for all of you that are listening, if you haven't yet left us an honest rating review, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please do. Uh, the more reviews we get, the more folks we can reach. And the more folks we can reach, the more folks we can help. David, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Can you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and how you got started in real estate? Hello, Ashley. Hello, Tony. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, my name is David Rosenbeck. Um, I am a uh, nurse practitioner by trade, but turned a uh, real estate junkie within the last couple of years. Um, I am from Fort Wayne, Indiana, but my wife and I, we've uh, been traveling around the past uh, eight months or so. Uh, I switched jobs uh, about eight months back to a remote position. And uh, we've kind of been doing the the nomad lifestyle for a little while. And now we're back in Fort Wayne, Indiana, because we um, our 12 months is up for whenever we can buy a new primary residence. So we're back in Fort Wayne and we're house, shop- house shopping again. <laughs> David, can you kind of break that down? What that last sentence is that you meant? What does that mean for anyone who has no idea about why would you move after 12 months? Yeah, absolutely. So in, in my humble opinion, it's it's the way that we've built the majority of our uh, portfolio is every 12 months, you can buy a new primary residence. And so whenever we uh, purchased our last home, um, we bought it with the thought that it was going to be a rental property in the near future. And so we purchased it and um, you know we knew that it, we, it would make sense as a... Uh, uh, 
rental in our portfolio down in the future. It wasn't going to be like a forever home for us or anything like that. So we bought it, we furnished it um, in the way that we knew that it would rent out as a medium term rental, which is my specialty, what we do here in the Midwest. And um, we furnished it, didn't put any really of our uh, personal stuff inside there. No, we didn't hang up pictures, didn't do any of that stuff. And then within about three months, uh, we took off traveling for the last eight months and we've had a, a guest staying in there ever since then. And so the idea is that every 12 months you can use a nice low down payment, typically 5% for a new primary residence. So it's a really, really easy way as long as you have a little bit of flexibility and your wife is okay with it or husband, spouse, whatever, is okay with moving every 12 months. It's a really, really easy way to build up a portfolio and kind of get the ball rolling with low down low down payment. One one follow-up question to that, David. So the, the type of debt that you're getting, if it, is it like a conventional loan? Is it like, what kind of loan is it that you, you've used so far? Yeah. So we, uh, we work with a local bank here and we're just using 5% down conventional 30 year fixed rate, like the best, best type of, uh, um, you know, loan products that you can get because it's made for the, you know, general consumer. So whenever you start moving into some of the other stuff, like commercial loan, stuff like that, usually interest rates start going up and it doesn't make as much sense because banks have to protect themselves a little more, but they know that, oh, this person's, you know, buying their primary residence. We, uh, they give them a little bit more leniency and they, they let the lower down payment usually with a lower interest rate as well. David, how many, how many times? have you done that where you like move into a place, live there for a year and then move out? So this will be our fifth time doing it this go around. And so uh, the very first time we did it, we accidentally flipped a property and that was back in... 2019. And so uh, that kind of brings me back to the beginning of our, my story of how I got started in investing. Um, 2019, I graduated uh, with my degree as a nurse practitioner and, uh, you know, was making more money than I had ever made before, you know, making $120,000, a year as a 25-year-old guy, and um, but didn't really notice any difference in my bank account, and I didn't know why there wasn't any difference in my bank account. And uh, so then uh, COVID hit not too long after that, and so we had some time that we we purchased a pri- uh, home 5% down back in uh, uh, our, our hometown area and um, renovated it, and then um, COVID hit, and so we were sitting at home, and I wasn't seeing many patients uh, from home, you know, doing virtual visits. And uh, I just got on YouTube and literally searched, what should I do with my money in my 20s? And uh, it wasn't Bigger Pockets that popped up first. It was Graham Stephan. But <laughs> then shortly after watching Graham Stephan, he was talking about real estate, Googled real estate, came upon Bigger Pockets, and you know the rest was history after that. Um, so we uh, – that first property that we had, we owned it for um, a year and like nine months. And then my wife was like, we need to move to Fort Wayne, which is where we're living at now because my work, my my commute was a, you know, an hour and 15 minutes one way. And so she was like, that's dumb. We're not doing that anymore. And so um, we found a property in Fort Wayne that had a carriage house out back. And my wife was like, would this work for that house hacking thing that you were talking about? And I was like, oh my gosh, honey, yes, this would work perfectly for house hacking. And uh, so then we sold our house back home. Uh, we made uh, right at about $30,000 on that first house and rolled it into our next one. David, so I, I just want to comment on something because you you, you kind of joked about this already about like if you can get your spouse to go along with this, but you've done this five times. Um, like 
was your was your spouse always on board from the beginning? Like, did, did she say like, hey, I love this idea, let's do it? Or was there kind of like a, a period where you had to maybe convince her to get on board? And if so, just how did, what, what was that dialogue like? Because I know a lot of our Ricky audience, um, a lot of folks that are listening, they're married or, or they're in a serious relationship. And they're the person that's listening to the Real Estate Rookie podcast twice a week. And they're the one that's on YouTube doing all this stuff. And their spouse is just kind of, you know, like in the, in the matrix still, like not realizing what's, what's, what's really available. So just walk us you with what it looked like for you and your wife. Yeah, for sure. So I think she, she just knows that whenever I really dig into something, I dig into it big time. And so, you know, I, I mentioned I was driving an hour and 15 minutes one way to get to work. And so I hammered through bigger pockets, podcast episodes. And every time I would come home from work, I'd be talking about nothing but real estate for like six to eight months that was going on. And she finally got to the point where she was like, okay, this isn't just some, you know, flighty dream that David's talking about. This is something that could actually work. And so it was literally just me coming home, talking about what I had learned about on, you know, the, that day's two podcasts that I'd listened to one there and one back. And, uh, she, she kind of got like an honorary PhD in real estate just from osmosis, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I think really it comes down to just like making sure that it, uh, your, your spouse knows that it's something that you've actually put a lot of thought into. And so, you know, I, I listened for, I think it was eight months before we finally took our, our jump into buying that new primary residence in Fort Wayne. And it had the carriage house out back, like I said, and my wife actually was the one that found it on the MLS, which was phenomenal. And uh, we were able to move into that. When we sold our house, we were then able to take all the proceeds from that. It was about $30,000 and buy uh, our second investment at the same time, which was a college house. And uh, my wife was like, shouldn't we take like this 30000 and like put it towards our student loans, put it towards this, put it towards that, whatever. And I was like, no, we're buying a college house too. So we kind of went for, you know, three properties all in one because of the carriage house, the main house, and then our college house. Did you write out any spreadsheets, do any kind of math or run the numbers to decide that that was the right move? Or you just wanted an investment property so bad you'd just didn't care. <laughs> a little bit of both. And so uh, the thing that really, really helped me was the uh, the hospital that I was working for. There was a, a fellow, uh, he was an infectious disease doc that was working there. And I knew that he was investing around the college that this house was by. And so I reached out to him. I was like, hey, can I, you know, go buy you dinner and let's go talk. And he was telling me about some of the numbers that he was getting for his college house. And I was like, okay, like if he's getting that, surely I can get that. And I told him about the house, showed it to him. And he was like, oh yeah, that's a no-brainer. You should buy it. So having somebody that I was able to ask run my numbers by, and then once he said it was a no-brainer, then I was like, okay, let's off to the races. If I can, I, I just want to ask, right? Because you're... You, you know, you, you said that you're making, you know, a healthy six figure salary in your mid twenties, which is, you know, there's a lot of people who work 30, 40, 50 years and never make over six figures. So in a lot of people's minds, financially, you had already kind of made it right early in life. So why even go down this rabbit hole of trying to become a real estate investor? Why not just like, you know, let your healthy six figure salary turn into a multi-million dollar, uh, you know, stock portfolio that you can retire off of? Sure. Yeah. Um, I think it was uh, a combination of I've always kind of had a um, an entrepreneurial kind of mindset that I always I always told my wife I was like I'm going to invent something someday I mean I'm going to come up with some sort of an idea and then on top of that um, the the group of people that I was working with in my W two um, I worked at a cancer institute and it was for upper GI cancers so like pancreatic cancer which is you know one of the worst cancers that are out there liver cancer esophageal cancer a lot of these really really nasty ones and um, I just saw so many people that were in like 
their mid 50s or so, something like that. And they're just about ready to get to retirement. They're just getting excited about it. They might have just bought their, you know, second home down in Florida or something like that. Then they just get hit with this awful diagnosis. And then, you know, they're stuck financially. It starts to ruin everything that they've built. And then, you know, potentially could be a, a life ending disease to where they thought that they had all this extra time and they really didn't. And so that really motivated me that I was not going to, you know, just put in 40 hours a week for the next 40 years so that I could hopefully retire at some point. I knew that I wanted to be able to start making my money work for me sooner so that we could, you know, kind of have the life that we wanted to live now. What would be your advice to somebody who's thinking of making that transition? Are there any things that you did to kind of safeguard yourself or prepare yourself for making that transition, having that pay cut, maybe even talk about some of the conversations you had with your wife before you made that big move. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the biggest help to me was, uh, Fort Wayne actually has like a really, really robust investing group in, uh, and there's a Facebook group and anybody can join if anybody wants to join the Facebook group. And, um, there was just a lot of really, really good people that I was able to kind of glean onto and and learned a ton from. And uh, one of my early mentors in real estate investing and really medium term rentals in uh, specifically, because that's my specialty, it, um, his name was Seth. And he, he was gracious enough to help me out to where he helped me you know, set up uh, my properties in a way that, and set up the um, like minimum stays and bookings and things like that to where I felt confident that I would be able to, you know, have my properties booked because I, I had never heard anything about medium term rentals. This was, you know, a couple years ago. So Jesse Vasquez hadn't come onto the, the scene just yet. <laughs> and uh, so we were, um, you know, I was kind of flying blind, but then having that support group of people in a in an investing group like that was phenomenal. So if you can find people, get to your local real estate, uh, you know, meetup groups and stuff like that and start talking to people that are doing what you're doing. And it makes all the difference in the world because then you're not sitting at home thinking or trying to Google and you're wondering, is this, you know, good information or not? You know, then you, you have somebody that's tangible that can pull out their spreadsheet on their phone and show it to you. And it just makes all the difference. Do you think that networking component and going to these meetups is a big part of why you felt comfortable to actually start making offers and, you know, buy that first investment property or even the first house with the, the carriage house in the back? What are some things that you think made you different than someone who's still stuck in that analysis paralysis? Yeah, I, I definitely think um, it was having other people around that I was able to ask questions. I mean, that, that's that's really the because in healthcare, whenever you're working, especially in the nurse practitioner role, you know, we have a lot of autonomy. We get to, you know, prescribe, diagnose, do all kinds of other things, see patients on our own. But there's always a physician that we can lean on and ask questions to because they are the ones that went through all of the training to really, really get a firm grasp on everything that's going on. And so that's how my entire career has been as a nurse practitioner. I've always had, you know, a physician that I can lean on and ask questions to. So whenever I got into the uh, real estate world, I knew that I needed somebody because that's the way that I learn. And like, I feel most comfortable is having somebody that I can work through the problems with and ask them questions. So I was able to, you know, find a mentor that was able to help me out. Yeah, you know, and we talk about this all the time, Ash, about like just the, the value of community, especially as a rookie. And, you know, I asked you, David, like how you got your spouse on board. And for me and, and my wife, Sarah, she's my business partner. It was, it was a lot of the same, right? Where she kind of saw my enthusiasm. But what really um, 
what really kind of put her over the edge and and really gave her the 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 bigger picture of how how successful we could potentially be was meeting other people who are already doing it. And, you know, I, I think it was like a meetup that we went to first, maybe like a small conference. And then, um, you know, then we went to BPCon and she met so many people there. And that's like when her eyes kind of opened and it was like, wow, like there, there are really people who have built massive businesses in the world of real estate investing. And it's like, well, if they did it, why can't we? Uh, so man, I, I, I love that. Um, it was the network component that really spurred you all to, to kind of take action. Completely agree. And most, in most cities, they'll have a Facebook group for real estate investors, you know? So if you can get into that Facebook group, search inside there, surely, you know, a friend of a friend that is inside that group or something like that, or just shoot a message to somebody that's doing a lot of stuff, you know, replying to a lot of people or doing whatever within the Facebook group. Because then you can send them a message be like, hey, uh, you know, I'm going to come to this week's RIA meeting. Um, I was just curious if, you know, I could talk to you on the phone for 15 minutes before we go just so I know what to expect or something like that. And then that helps like you kind of like be able to move into the RIA, be like, oh, I already know, you know, Seth, he's already, you know part of the group and Seth's going to say, oh, hey, David, how's it going? You know, it's not you just flying in there blindly. Yeah, David, one, one thing I want to circle back to as well, because you you mentioned this briefly, and I don't, I don't think we spent enough time kind of diving into it, but um, you said that you were going back to Fort Wayne. Um, where have you been in the meantime? Like, what does your life look like now that you've kind of built up this this real estate portfolio? Yeah. So so once we were able to build up, um, we've got five medium-term rentals right now and then one long-term rental. And that was able to offset uh, a pretty big chunk of my W-2 income that I was making at the Cancer Institute. And I knew, I mean, this this was one of the highest paying NP jobs that you could get in Fort Wayne. And so I was really lucky to get into the group. Um, and so I was hesitant to, you know, step away from it because I was going to take a pretty hefty pay cut. Um, but I was able, you know, I felt comfortable doing that because I started having this residual passive income coming in from my rentals. And um, so now my wife and I, we've been traveling around. Our first stop was in Denver where the first week that we were in Denver, we stayed there for a month. And the reason I wanted to go there was because I knew it was, you know, the bigger pockets Mecca. And the first week that we were there, there was a, a meetup at a brewery where I met the two of you while we were there. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, this is definitely where we're supposed to be. And uh, spent a month in Denver, met a ton of really, really cool people out there. There's meetups like two or three a week out there. It's crazy. Um, and then we spent a month in Oregon, spent some time in California, Arizona, Texas, Florida, Florida, Louisiana, uh, South North Carolina, Kentucky, and then back in Indiana now over the last eight months. And yeah, it's been a beautiful thing because we've been able to do it. And the reason we've been able to do it was because of the income that we were making off of our rental properties. Cause I was, I was making decent or am making decent money at my, my remote job that I have. Um, I'm working for a, an insurance company now. Um, but I'm making probably about two thirds of what I would have been making at my prior job. But now that residual income is, you know, replacing it, which is fantastic. Are you working less than two with the this new job? Absolutely. So I always tell people, you know, I, I had uh, probably a nine out of 10 stress level whenever I was working at the Cancer Institute, just really sick people, seeing lots of them, you know, and now with this job, I work off productivity and I'm usually done by 10, 11 o'clock in the morning. I got, I got my five appeals done and then I can just kind of relax and focus on real estate the rest of the day and just respond to emails when I need to. And it's a beautiful thing. That really is amazing. And I think a lot of people listening probably might be a striving for that same lifestyle. Um, 
If you've ever seen Tony at a conference, he pretty much is working while attending the conference or staying up until 4 a.m. to work after the conference. So Tony might even be, uh, you know, seeking that lifestyle one day too. But uh, David, that's awesome. And congratulations on, you know, finding that path and kind of getting to somewhere where you want to be. Yeah. And, and that's the funny thing too. Everybody always says that they want to get into real estate so they can quit their job, but it doesn't need to be so black and white and so extreme. Like you can get into real estate and help, you know, supplement a third of your income, which is basically what I was doing. And I was able to take a job that had 10 times less stress and I'm still making some decent money, still have benefits and everything that I need to have. And that's a similar situation that other people can have to where, you know, they don't need to be able to, you know, quit their job cold turkey because of all the money that they're making from real estate. Cause that just sounds like such a big daunting task. But if you're able to, um, get into, uh, enough real estate that it's supplementing some of your income, then you can move into an adjacent job that you might enjoy more, or it's more involved with real estate, like working for a title company, you might not be making as much, but you're learning more on the job, you're meeting new people. So it's uh, it, it doesn't need to be, okay, I need to make $10,000 a month in passive income before I can quit. You can you know make a little bit of that and then you're able to transition into something else if you want. David, I want to go into kind of the strategy piece of your real estate investment. So you primarily focus on medium-term rentals. Are you doing any other kind of strategy right now or just that? Uh, I have one college house that's actually doing really, really well for me. Um, I rent it out by the room. And so I was able to find uh, a five bed, two and a half bath house that was right next to a college and I'm renting it out for 400 bucks per room with $50 flat rate for utilities. And the house cost me $91,000. So my mortgage oh. is like, four. <laughs> <laughs> so my mortgage is like 480 bucks and I'm bringing in 2250 a month. And so it's, it's uh, been a cash cow for me. David, just one, one question on that. Um, first, I, I love the rent by the room strategy and, you know, uh, all of our portfolio is short-term rental, but, you know, eventually we want to start adding more long-term rental. But when I do make that transition, I want it to either be um, maybe more of a medium term rental or a rent by the room strategy because I like that approach. But one of the things that always uh, kind of gives me a little bit of hesitation around renting by the room, or I guess two things really. One is if you're in a college area, um, everyone pretty much leaves at the same time during summer. Um, so how do you account for that? And then second, um, do you, how do you kind of manage the, uh, folks that are sharing that space? Like, do you supply things like, uh, dishwashing, uh, detergent and or laundry detergent and like, like who's doing the household essentials and, or, or you, do you just let them figure that out? Yeah. So I, I actually going into this, I, advertised it as renting by the room, but that was just my justification for the big $2,250 price tag was like, you will be staying in this house, you know, with your utility utilities included for 450 bucks for your room. And, uh, my, my main strategy was that I wanted a team because, uh, that was already, already all those people know each other. And so I actually started going through and I made a list of all of the coaches for all of the teams at Indiana tech, which is the college that's in Fort Wayne. And uh, I emailed all of the coaches that were there. And then I happened to see somebody's last name that I knew on the volleyball team. And so I shot her a message on Facebook because we had a mutual friend that uh, that kind of like – 
quasi knew her. And uh, I was like, hey, are you guys I, – I just bought this house. Here's the address. Would anybody on the team be interested in uh, renting the place out? And so then we were able to get five girls from the volleyball team that already knew each other that all agreed that they were going to rent the house together. And the second reason that I wanted the team other than they already all knew each other so – you know, theoretically they should get along because they're going to be on the same team together no matter what. So the reason that I wanted the team was that there's always going to be perpetual overturn with these teams. And so, you know, you've got upperclassmen, then then there's juniors, sophomores, freshmen that are on this volleyball team. And so you should theoretically always have new people that are going to be coming through and staying at your property. And the reason that we chose girls teams instead of guys was because there's been, I've been to plenty of guys, college houses, it doesn't look great. And so my wife was like, we need to do girls if we're going to do college rent. <laughs> so um when I remember when I was in college, the you know, my boyfriend in college, he lived in a house that was like five bedrooms, I think it was, and they were in the downstairs part of it. And I mean, it was literally you just got the house empty and you had to bring, you know, your furniture for the common area. There was nothing provided. I don't think the house was even cleaned before they moved in. But it we've had guests that have been on that talk about doing you know, house hacking, or they do rent by the room. But I think the college experience and expectation is very different than if you are renting to professionals or even just people who aren't in college, where I've seen a lot of them, you know, supply the dining room table, they supply the couches and the common area furniture. And then, you know, every, maybe they'll supply, you know, some of the toiletries or things like that. So have you kind of seen that with colleges as to it's very different than if you're renting by the room to, I don't want to use the word adults because obviously college students are adults, <laughs> but not student housing rent. By sure, the yeah. Room. And so, um, I, I didn't, um, I didn't provide anything, whatever. It was just like they were basically signing a long-term rental lease. And the way that I did it was I had all of them sign an individual lease, but that was just kind of the way that I pitched it was renting by the room. And uh, one of the most important things, because, you know, renting a college house, everybody, you know, thinks of the worst, you know, how college house parties and stuff like that going to ruin everything um, is I had a, I reached out to my attorney and I talked to him. I was like, okay, what can I do to like protect myself in this situation? And so he said, uh, have them sign a parent guarantor form is the name. And so what that does is I the have the girls all, you know, like physically sign the lease together. So there's five signatures on that lease. But then I individually send out through DocuSign this just one page document that says I blank blank um, agree to all uphold all of the terms of the lease individually and wholly. So I now have each one of these five sets of parents that are also responsible for everything within the lease as well as taking care of the property. And so I don't have to rely on the kids making rent because the parents are on the hook for it if they don't pay. I don't have to worry about if they destroy something trying to squeeze money out of a college kid, the parents are on the hook for it. So that has made a huge difference and made me way more comfortable with going into, uh, you know, getting into a college rental space. That's a really, really good tip, David. And um, I, we had a recent uh, guest, Ashley, who also mentioned something about like getting the parents to sign for the students. I can't remember who it was, but it seems like that's a, a common thing. And honestly, I, I would have never thought of that. So I, I appreciate you sharing it, man. I, I think that's great advice for even not somebody who's in college, but somebody who's a first time renter. If you can, you know, they're moving out of their parents' house and, you know, they don't have maybe any credit. They just got their first job. There's no rental history. That's something you could ask for 
as having their parents kind of co-sign. That's such a good point. Cause like I got my first apartment when I was in college too. And I remember, I, I remember being shocked when they like approved me for it. I was like, <laughs> I was like, you're actually going to give it to me. Um, like I almost applied thinking they were going to reject me. So I, I, I love that idea of like, even if you're a first time renter, whether you're in college or not, it, it might be beneficial. Um, <laughs> Hiring? Your search is over. Really, there's no need to search. Match instead with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates super fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to hire top talent faster. Speaking of top talent, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. But why do I love Indeed? Because I'm busy and scrolling through 300 resumes is not helping my business grow. It's actually making it slow. With Indeed, I can hire faster and know I'm getting someone who can do the job. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to post your jobs with more visibility at Indeed.com slash rookie. Just go to Indeed.com slash rookie right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash rookie. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. Rookies, I'm telling you right now, it's not every day you find a game changer like Rent Ready. They're not stopping with just tenant screening. Nope, they've now rolled out proof of income verification. So let Rent Ready handle the heavy lifting with automatic checks on financial stability and earnings. Plus, with Plaid certified reports, you'll have all the info you need right at your fingertips. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets, but if you're not a pro, they're offering the six month plan for only $1. How great of a deal is that? So visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP like Bigger Pockets Investor to get six months of rent ready for only $1. Well, well, David, I, I want to talk a little bit about the midterm rental stuff because, you know, obviously me being a short-term rental guy, Ashley's kind of expanded her short-term rental portfolio, uh, but the MTR space is, is starting to get a little bit more love, um, especially as we're seeing kind of fluctuations in the economy and kind of what, what the short-term rental market might look like. So you've got the one uh, long-term rental where you're renting by the room and then the rest of your units are midterm rentals, correct? So I guess if you can, I, I think the, the first 
I guess first, if you can define what midterm rental is, because there, there might be some folks who aren't familiar with that phrase. Um, and then second, how are you sourcing uh, people to put into your midterm rentals? Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, medium term rental, at least in my definition, is anything that's a 30 day stay that's furnished where you're paying the utilities. And so it's basically that you have an Airbnb that instead of renting it out for a weekend or three, four nights, whatever, you're renting it out for at least 30 days plus. And the main reason for that was because Fort Wayne's not a vacation market. People aren't coming here for leisure. They're coming here for work. And me being in healthcare, whenever I went and I walked through the hospital, once we were allowed to come back after, I think it was like six weeks, they had us NP stay at home and try and do like video visits. And then once I got back in the hospital, I didn't recognize anybody in the hospital. I didn't recognize any of the nurses. And I was like, what is going on? And so I started talking to people and everybody was a travel nurse. And I was like, where are you guys staying? And they're like, oh, I'm staying at the, you know, super eight down the way. And I'm like, how much are you paying for that? Oh, like 60 bucks a night. And I'm like, are you kidding me? That sounds horrible. And so it got my wheels turning. I was like, surely there has to be a market for this. And then that's how I got synced up with my mentor, Seth. Uh, I just asked in the uh, Facebook group uh, that I was part of, I was like, is anybody doing, you know, like 30 day stays furnished for travel nurses? And then Seth reached out to me and and that's how we got started. We started renting out the carriage house. And so uh, we furnished it and it's 600 square feet. It's a little brick A-frame. It looks kind of cool. And my wife did a wonderful job of making sure that it looked really, really good. And within the first 24 hours of us going live on Airbnb, we had a nine-month booking. And the nine-month oh. booking was not even for a nurse, which is what I expected our bread and butter to be. It was somebody that was coming to town with his wife, and he was a lineman, you know, like power lines. He was working on them for Indiana Michigan Power, the power company. And so not even somebody that was on my radar, they booked it for nine months. And so that just really opened my eyes that, hey, there's a huge industry for this, not just travel nurses. And so uh, then we expanded... Um, um, we've got uh, now our main house that was with the carriage house. We moved out of that and that's now a medium term rental. That's a two bed, one bath. And then we have a townhome that's a three bed, two and a half bath. That's a medium term. We did an arbitrage of a one bed, one bath that's near the hospital that I worked at that is a medium term. And then I'm co-hosting for a friend of mine that's a medium term. Can you explain what arbitrage is? Absolutely. Yeah. So um, there was one apartment complex that was really, really close to the hospital that I used to work at on the north side of town that it's kind of like far away from downtown. It's like kind of all by itself. And so there's one apartment building there. And I was like, surely if I would be able to, because I was looking and there's no uh, apartment building or apartment units on Furnish Finder or on Airbnb. And so whenever I was looking around and I, I just gave them a call, I was like, hey, my name's David. I do medium term rentals for travel nurses. I work at the hospital. There's not enough housing. Would you guys be willing to do a corporate lease with me so that I can rent out to some travel nurses? And the fact that it was going to be for 30 days only, I told him I will never do anything less than 30 days. It's going to be for healthcare providers at Parkview, which is the hospital. They knew how close they were to the hospital. So they made, they're like, okay, that makes sense. They were perfectly fine with, they, they were like, yeah, absolutely. Come on in. We'll have a conversation about it. There wasn't even any of this, oh, trying to like, you know, woo the landlord or woo the apartment building into letting me do it. They were like happy to do it because they felt like they were contributing them. Um, and so basically you go in there, you sign a lease saying, I will pay X amount, uh, which is, you know, whatever the market rent is. And then we furnish the building, put all the utilities in our name, and then we're re-renting it to travel nurses. And then we make the spread. Did they require, did they do a whole like tenant screening on you, do the credit and background check on you? No. As the renter? They didn't no? do anything. Wow. No. <laughs> I made sure that I walked in with my scrubs on, with my badge on. So maybe that helped. But I liked how you use the word when you kind of approach them, you want to do it as a corporate rental because that has been like a 
that's actually done for a really long time is corporate rentals where this medium term stay is kind of new where more people may not know what it is. Um, so I really like the way that you kind of worded that and pitched that. And um, yeah, that's really awesome. Yeah, I made sure that I never once mentioned the word Airbnb. I was like, because then they're, they're going to freak out. But it was, yeah, I think it was that I'm going to be having nurses that are coming into town that are working at the hospital. And so like, it's it's pretty hard to try and turn somebody down with that whenever they're coming to the community to help out with, you know, the sick people that we have. David, one one follow-up question. So you, you said the first one came on Airbnb, like, you, you know, a few hours sick and alive, you got a nine-month booking. Are the majority of your medium-term rental uh, guest coming from Airbnb or is it coming by you directly reaching out to the hospitals and offering that or like what, what's what's your biggest source for for folks coming in? Yeah, I would say um, early on, I would say it was probably 75% Airbnb, 25% Furnish Finder. And so Furnish Finder for people that don't know is an online booking platform and it's tailored for travel nurses. But now other people, other traveling professionals are starting to figure out that, oh, it's not just for nurses. Um, and so all you do is pay a $99 fee for the year for that booking. And so they don't take 3% like Airbnb or anything like that. It's literally just a place for you to post your property that somebody can find you and contact you. Um, but I think over the last, like probably six months, it's kind of flipped on me. And now I think it's about 50, 50, because I think before, whenever I first started travel nurses were making so much dang money that they didn't care. They just booked through Airbnb and they didn't mind the extra fees. They didn't want to do so much searching. They just wanted to get to town and get to work. Uh, but now um, the travel nurses, their their pay has been cut down quite a bit because there's not so much like the the critical need that there was during the pandemic. Um, so they're looking more on like, you know, furnish finder and stuff like that, like they used to, to try and, you know, get a little bit of a lower rate. Um, but yeah, I'd say probably about 50-50 right now, Airbnb and furnish finder. We, uh, for our medium term rental, we actually got somebody that booked it over the summer, their grandparents that want to come and visit their grandchildren for the summer. So we have the whole summer booked out because of that. And um, find it interesting too, that you've had construction workers. We recently just had two different engineers contact us that are coming in for like a six month job that they're, they're doing in the area. So yeah, there's definitely more potential than just traveling nurses too. So I think that's just an added bonus that, you know, being by a hospital is great, but you could also try and market to other types of people too. Absolutely. Yeah. And I would say like the lead driver of the economy in Fort Wayne is healthcare. And so that just made sense in my brain. I work in healthcare. That's, you know, the lead of uh, economy, but I would say maybe just by a hair, 50% of my bookings have been nurses. The rest have been other people. So I've had people that were in town for a physical therapy internship. I had somebody that was a, um, that was a concrete guy that was working on the courthouse for three months. I had a guy that was a crane worker, had another person that was uh, in town for a law internship. I mean, there's just a million different reasons that people need to come into town and stay for two or three months at a time. And they're obviously not going to like lease an apartment and they don't want to stay inside a, you know, a hotel for that long. Cause even these extended stay hotels at, you know, $60 a night, they're still paying multiple thousands or, you know, well over a thousand dollars for a month to stay there. And kind of my sweet spot that I've found has been right around like that $2,000 a month mark, which works really well in, in the Midwest, which is where I, I work at with our low purchase prices. So Dave, you have told us a lot about your portfolio. You have, you know, cut back on your position. You're living the life that you want right now. So we all have to ask, 
How much have you made in the past 18 months since you started doing this off of your rentals? Yeah, so I went back and I figured it up before uh, I had my first interview with you guys because I just wanted to know for myself. And just from uh, me doing, you know, multiple house hacks in a row and doing an arbitrage, doing some co-hosting, this and that, um, I've made over $100,000 in the last 18 months off of medium-term rentals, which is absolutely insane. That's that amazing. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. And I, I do think a big component of that is being able to, you did change your job and having more time to focus on your rentals and real estate too. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree because now with this job, I mean, I'm, I'm able to take multiple phone calls a day. I'm able to underwrite properties. I'm able to just like have one laptop open that's for work and one laptop open that is for the fun work, which is real estate and, uh, you know, answer emails whenever I need to, but then I'm, uh, you know, perusing Zillow and looking for other things. And so, yeah, it's made a huge difference because now I have so much more time flexibility that I didn't have before whenever I was working in my previous job. Yeah. Well, congratulations, brother. That's a, that's an amazing achievement. Um, so you, you, you've shared so much information. I've really enjoyed this conversation, David. I would love if you can talk a little bit about your uh, process for selecting these homes that you're using as medium term rentals. Like, do you have a process in place or like what kind of thing do you looking for to say, yes, this property makes sense as a medium term rental? Absolutely. Yeah. I, the reason that I think medium term rentals is one of the best investments out there is because a lot of people aren't looking for the type of properties that I personally think do the best. And so I, I like to call them my misfit properties. And so whenever you're looking around for these homes, you find these little one bed, one bath, two bed, one bath, less than a thousand square feet places that no investor wants to buy because what? how much are you going to rent a one bed, one bath for? Maybe 600 bucks a month and it's not going to cash flow very well. And then no family is going to want to buy that because they're going to grow out of it in no time. And so if you can find these properties, it's it's usually a very, very low down payment because you know it's a cheaper property. You can usually negotiate pretty well on the price. And then uh, the renovation on these types of houses, because they're less than a thousand square feet typically, renovation is very, very cheap. And then your utilities, once you have everything renovated, is very low because you know your heating bill, electric bill, everything else is usually very, very low. And a one bed, one bath house or a two bed, one bath house is fantastic for a travel nurse that's coming into town because they don't need that much space. They're usually at work the majority of the time and they just want to come back and crash and then watch a little bit of Netflix, go to sleep and then go back to work the next day. And so I think that these houses are the perfect thing that people can start looking for. And the way that I like to um, tackle a new market, because I'm looking to branch out of you know my my home city of Fort Wayne, because things are getting a little bit saturated here, because I, I keep preaching mid medium to rentals from the mountaintops. And so now everybody's getting into it. But um, I'm reaching out into some of the uh, more tertiary Midwest markets. And my favorite way to do it and the way that you know if somebody wants to do this for free right now at home, super easy, you pull up Furnish Finder on one side of of your screen, you pull up Zillow on the other side of your screen, you find a misfit property somewhere in whatever city that's closest to you. And I always like to look for at least a uh, level one trauma center hospital. So like 450 beds, typically level one trauma center hospital, because then, you know, it's big enough that there are going to be travel nurses there no matter what, because there's such a nursing shortage still. Um, 
And so if you can pull up Zillow on one side, pull up Furnish Finder on the other, you look at kind of where the pocket of Furnish Finder properties are, because that must be, okay, this is a safe enough area. Then you pull up Zillow and look and see, are there any overlying areas? Is there a nice little misfit property hanging out inside that spot to where I can go and underwrite it? Like, oh, this property is getting 2,200 bucks a month and it's got grandma furniture inside it. I wonder if I could purchase this little house and I can make it nice and get even more than that. And so it's just a really simple way that people for free at home could pull up their uh, you know, internet browser and be able to look for properties right away. David, one thing you mentioned, uh, level four trauma center, and you said 400 beds. How, how does someone who's not in the uh, healthcare industry identify that? Yeah. So level one trauma center, that's like the oh, highest level, level that you can get. Yeah. So a level one trauma center is, um, you know, like somebody that's critically ill in an accident or something, they would fly them by helicopter to a level one trauma center. And so you can literally just Google level one trauma centers in Cleveland, Ohio, level one trauma centers in Louisville, uh, Kentucky. And then, or if, you know, if it's not a level one trauma center, which is kind of ideal because then there's lots of people there, they have ICUs and all this other stuff. Um, you can just Google whatever hospital is in whatever town that's closest to you, I'd say you'd want at least a, a hundred thousand people, hundred thousand people in the town, like population wise, cause then it'll probably have a big hospital. And if you get a hospital that's at least 450 beds, you're going to have so many nurses that are within that network that, you know, they probably aren't meeting the supply for the nurses that they need. And so then they'll likely have travel nurses that are coming in. I just Googled like level one trauma centers for my County. And yeah, there there's, three that are within like, I don't know, probably 25 minutes of where I live right now. Um, that's so crazy. I never, I never knew that, man. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. It, it's, it's a, a nice way that you can just kind of suss out smaller hospitals from bigger hospitals. Cause there's not going to be a, you know, 50 bed hospital. That's a level one trauma center. It, it, it has to be a large one. So whatever town that's within, I mean, just about everybody listening to this right now has a level one trauma center within two hours of them. And so whatever town that that's in, then you can start looking on furnish finder, set your parameters on Zillow for two bedrooms or less thousand or 1200 square feet, thousand square feet or less, find those cheap misfit properties, turn them around, furnish them, put them up and see what you can get for it. Yeah, David, that's, that's an awesome breakdown, man, of, of kind of, uh, how to get rock and roll in, in the medium term rental space. And, um, I, I might have to steal that whole level one trauma thing because I've, I've always, you know, I, I don't have any long, like long-term rentals. I never had any long-term rentals in California, but we have short-term rentals here. Um, so maybe a medium-term rental could do well in California also. Cause I, I like the idea of, of having assets in California because they appreciate well and, and you know, you're, 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 you're going to get the long-term upside, but obviously as a, as a traditional long-term rental, it gets a little tough. Um, uh, to, to kind of find properties that make sense. But this, this level one trauma center might be my, might be my gold, man. Um, yeah. cool. So I, I want to take us to our next segment, which is our, uh, Ricky request line. So for all of our, our rookies out there that are listening, uh, you guys can give us a call at eight, 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 five Ricky. And, uh, if we like your question, we might just use it on the show. So David, are you ready for today's question? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So today's question comes from McKinley Ward and McKinley says, I have a few questions around medium term rentals, uh, to traveling healthcare professionals. I'm I'm about to close my first single family property this week. This house has a fully furnished, I'm assuming, uh, one bed, one bath, basement, uh, equipped with full kitchen and laundry, as well as separate access uh, entrance. We plan to house hack, live in the main level, and originally rent out the basement as a traditional long-term rental. However, I recently came across the idea of renting to traveling healthcare providers and found Furnish Finder. I'm thinking it could cash flow much more each month doing it that route and have a higher quality tenant. My question is, 
does analyzing the numbers change much with this approach compared to a traditional rental, as in uh, look at it more as an Airbnb? Also, has anyone had much success doing this or using furnished finders? Anything to keep in mind? So what are your what is your advice, David, to McKinley? One hundred percent would say go with the medium term rental route because likely if it's a if it's a basement unit, you're probably not having separate metered much of anything. Maybe you have separate gas, maybe you have separate electric, but if it's a basement unit, probably not. So you're already going to have to figure out a way to split those utilities, or you're paying them yourself already. And so that's one of the things with medium term rentals: you're paying your own or you're paying the utilities for that unit. And one thing that she mentioned as well was uh, you get a higher quality tenant, which, you know, theoretically, that's the idea. You know, you get a traveling professional that's going to come stay at your place. It's not somebody that's renting out, you know, a basement unit for 500 bucks a month because they can't afford anything else. Then you might start getting, you know, some lower quality people that are going to be staying there. But if you can rent it out, typically what I see is about twice whatever you can get for a long-term rent. I would say at least two times that is what you can probably get as a medium term rental, usually even a little bit more than that. And so if you're doubling what you're getting, you have to shave out a little bit for the utilities that you're going to be paying. Um, But then you're going to be making much more in regards to profit off of that property. And in my opinion, I like it more like with our carriage house that we have behind our house. We had, you know, people that were living close proximity to us. If we signed a lease with somebody for a year, they're there for a year and we have to put up with them. But with these people, that's typically, you know, three months, four months, something like that at a time. And typically then they they head out after that. And so you usually have a shorter amount of time that you have to deal with them. But usually you don't hear anything from them because they're off working. That's why they're in whatever town you're in is because they want to work hard, make a bunch of money and then go back home. And so I think it's a brilliant idea. I think it would work out beautifully. So I just had another epiphany while you were talking, David. So my sister-in-law, she's a nurse. She's a freaking nurse. (laughs) And I just Googled her hospital and it's a level one trauma center. And I didn't even know that. Um, So I got to, I got to go call her after this and say, Hey, where are all of your coworkers living? Like do you, how many of them are traveling nurses? Um, So I think I got my in at the, at the local hospital. Yeah. Just pull up furnish finder and look around the hospital and see what the furnish finder units look like. And then if you're seeing, okay, you know, there's, you know, a quad quadplex and one of the units in the quadplex is renting for X amount, then you can just kind of extrapolate that out and you can kind of see what the market is bearing because that's whatever, you know, price that they have on there. And yeah, it's Furnish Finder and Airbnb make it really, really easy to kind of see what people are willing to pay for what quality you have. And then if, you know, a guy like you, I've seen your short-term rentals, they're phenomenal. I know that you guys are going to do an amazing job furnishing it. And a lot of people on Furnish Finder, it's like Airbnb six years ago, you know, everything is hand-me-down, goodwill, looks horrible. And so if you can go in there and do a bang up job with your decorations, actually, because I would bet 90% of the people on Furnish Finder do not do professional photos and it blows my mind. And so do professional photos, make it look really nice because, you know, these travel nurses, they're usually young, single females. 90% of travel nurses are females. And uh, I forget what the number was. 80% of them are single or something like that. And so you get a young, single female that's making like $125 an hour. She wants to stay somewhere that's really nice. She doesn't want to stay at grandma's place, you know, with, the, but you know, within reason. They want to be able to, you know, stack up some cash, but live somewhere nicely for the three months that they're in town. I got one last question for you, David. So when you're, when you're analyzing how much you can charge for your medium term rental, um, you know, obviously there's tools on uh, the short term rental side. I'm not sure how accurate those numbers are on the medium term rental side. Um, but like, I, I know one process is like, you can just open Airbnb, you can just open Furnish Finder. You can see what, what those properties are being listed at. But um, the, the only downside with looking at that is that there's um, 
there, there's no guarantee that that's what they're actually booking for, right? So someone could list a property at you know twenty four hundred bucks a month, but then when they actually like book and get paid, maybe it's some other number. So do you have a process for um, on the medium term rental side projecting what that income might be? Really, the the enemy method, which is what you mentioned, just going around and looking what other people are getting, is the best way that there is right now. Like Price Labs, AirDNA, stuff like that. They they're not you know up on the the new up and coming asset of medium term rentals. I was actually just on a Instagram live last week where it was Jesse Vasquez and the CEO of Price Labs. And they said that they're currently working on tools that will help underwrite medium term rental properties. So that's something that's on the horizon that I was excited about. Um, but something, the, just a, a quick little nugget that I learned from that, um, ways that you can utilize Price Labs for medium term rentals is, um, you know, the, the worst thing that you could have happen is that you have somebody that's moving out and then somebody books for, you know, four months, but they booked it five five weeks from the time that your current tenant is moving out. So you've got five weeks that are dead in the water right there because no one's going to want to book it, you know, only for a month or not typically. And so he said that you know, a new rule set that they've set up in Price Labs is that you can determine um, how long of a length of stay it needs to be for you to allow it for how close it is to whenever somebody moves out. And so let's say that, you know, you're okay with a three week gap after your current guest leaves if that person books for six months, uh, but it needs to be them booking for three months if it's a two week gap, or they need to book for one month if it's a one week gap. And so there's all these new rule sets that uh, Price Labs is coming out with to be able to help you um, with that. And so it, it's nice to see that, you know, these big companies are coming out with tools to try and help with the underwriting process for medium term rentals, because it is still kind of uh, a shot in the dark. And you're just hoping that you uh, can get a good average on things whenever you're looking at like Furnish Finder and Airbnb. You can always go back to the old fashion way too of just tracking listings. So like every week, just writing what listings are available. And then usually if they're not there the next week, they most likely rented for what they were listed for. They're sitting a while, there could be the risk that they were renegotiated. But if you're thinking of doing medium term rentals, even short term rentals or long term rentals, that's just kind of the pen and paper way of tracking what rental prices are um, in your area. Absolutely. So David, um, we have three more questions for you. Uh, so this is our rookie exam. Are you ready for it? Let's do it. Okay. The first question is, what is one actionable thing rookies should do after listening to this episode? As I mentioned before, one thing that every single person should do because it's free and it'll take you five minutes to do is find whatever the biggest hospital is within two hours of you in whatever town that is and look at Furnish Finder and you can do furnishfinder.com forward slash stats and you can type that ad or that city in and it'll actually tell you what the demand is, how many requests there's been, how many views there have been for that city. And that kind of helps give you an idea of how many people may be looking to get into that area as well. But then look at what your competition is doing. Look and see how much people are getting for a one bedroom, a two bedroom, if it's an apartment or if it's a house, and then pull up Zillow right next to it and see if you can find any properties that would kind of meet those uh, those same uh, parameters that those properties are for on uh, Furnish Finder and see what the... And then underwrite it using one of Bigger Pockets calculators. It's super simple. You just go in there, use whatever your utilities are. If you have a similar type of property that you're living in, if you're living in a one bedroom apartment, you kind of have an idea of how much you're going to be paying for it. And then use that against whatever you're getting on Furnish Finder. And you can come up with what you're going to be making. And I think it'll shock a ton of people how close by people can get uh, a property that's cash flowing hundreds and hundreds of dollars a month. And it takes little to no management whatsoever. That was one thing that I didn't 
didn't get a chance to touch on, but these things are so, so simple to manage. It's unbelievable. Across my portfolio, I usually tell people I spend about three hours a month on my portfolio, and I bet that's being generous because I just don't have turnovers. People are there for four, five, six months at a time. It's it's beautiful. All right. Question number two, what's one tool, software, app, or system that you use in your business? Always use Airbnb, always use Furnish Finder. I haven't ever gotten onto Verbo because I've just never heard of any other medium-term rental person being on Verbo. But um, Typically, those are my my two go-tos for trying to you know bring people in as well as trying to underwrite properties and uh, always use the bigger pockets calculators because they're phenomenal. And then when I'm starting to now look to bring on investors, and so whenever you send over that bigger pockets underwriting where it's got the nice pie graph on there and everything else, it makes you look really really professional. So that's that's one tool that's been invaluable for me. Where do you see yourself? in five years? What is kind of your, your goal, your plan? It seems like you have a a pretty good, uh, hold on your journey right now and happy with it. Um, what's the plans for the future though? So, um, I have always been a a dreamer with doing super cool, super unique, uh, short-term rentals. That's something that I've been looking to get into. Um, but I knew that medium-term rentals would be a really, really good baseline for me. That's, that's kind of the foundation that I'm building my financial empire on is medium-term rentals, because it's something that's more stable than short-term rentals, but it makes more money than long-term rentals. It's easy to manage like a long-term rental, but you know, it's doing better than what the traditional long-term is. And uh, so next step for me, um, I think I joined uh, Rob's host camp, Rob Abasolo's host camp, and I want to start getting into some of these more unique uh, short-term rentals. And so i um, been working with some of my old uh, physician colleagues that I had worked with, and uh, they keep asking me, hey, what are you doing? How are you doing this? What's going on? We have money that we want to invest. And so I'd like to be able to bring on some of that private capital and be able to deploy it into some of these kind of unique properties and uh, you know these cool short-term rentals. But then uh, on the other hand, then keep building my personal portfolio of these super easy to manage medium terms because the um, I'm almost hesitant to get into the short term rental game because I just know how easy it is to manage the medium term rentals. And then I know how, you know, how stressful and how strenuous it can be at times with short term rentals, as I'm sure Tony can attest to. And uh, so I am almost hesitant to do it. And that's why I think it's going to have to be these very unique like treehouse properties and things like that, things that are not your standard run-of-the-mill short-term rental because it needs to be something that makes it worth my time versus just pursuing more medium-term rentals. David, I'm so sorry, but I lied to you. I have one more question, a fourth question. Um, As soon as you mentioned stats, I was Googling away at the Furnish Finder stats. So when I did Buffalo, New York, it said for the map searches and housing requests for the Buffalo area in the last 12 months was 26,130. Is that a good number? That's a great number. So you know, I mean, okay. <laughs> there's 26,000 people that were searching in your area trying to find somewhere somewhere that they could stay. And so if there's 2,000 people a month that are looking for somewhere to stay in Buffalo, New York, then I'm sure that you could have uh, somebody that would be staying in your property. And that's that's also another thing with medium terms where there's there's a lot more room for more properties. Whenever it comes to short-term rentals, you know, you've, you've got people staying for two, three, four nights and so, or something like that. And so it takes a lot of people 
people to get that occupancy rate up to, you know, 90% or something like that. But with a medium term rental, whenever one person stays there for six months, it knocks that property out of the pool for half of the year. And so there's a lot more room for a lot more medium term rentals to be in the market because there's more people that are staying in them for longer. Well, David, thank you so much for coming on with us. Uh, Tony and I have our brains going a mile a minute (laughs) on this. And uh, we appreciate all the valuable information that you've given. Uh, Can you tell everyone where they can reach out to you and find out some more information? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm on Bigger Pockets, David Rosenbeck. Rosenbeck is R-O-S-E-N-B-E-C-K. And then uh, I'm on Instagram at David Rosenbeck as well. No spaces, no dots, no anything. And uh, I've I've started doing some uh, coaching and uh, consulting for people. So that that link is in my Instagram. So if anybody wants to learn how to do medium term rentals, find those misfit properties in the Midwest, uh, reach out to me. I'd be happy to help you out. Awesome. Thank you so much. I'm Ashley at Wealth From Rentals and he's Tony at Tony J. Robinson on Instagram. Make sure you guys are part of the Real Estate Rookie Facebook group and that you are subscribed to the Real Estate Rookie YouTube channel. And we'll see you guys on Saturday for a rookie reply. Getting started in real estate can be daunting. There's so much to know, obstacles to overcome, lessons to learn, and risks to avoid. It can all be so overwhelming. If you're feeling motivated to invest, but too overwhelmed to take action, here's some advice. Take it one step at a time. And here's some good news for you. The Rookie Bootcamp is starting on May 20th, and Tyler and Ashley will be guiding you through each and every step until you're the proud, confident owner of your first investment property. Through eight action-packed weeks, they'll guide you step-by-step through those first questions, decisions, and obstacles that every beginner investor must overcome. So if you're serious about becoming an investor this year, head to biggerpockets.com step and join us in the Rookie Bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.